Welcome to Season 5 of 15-Minute History. This season, we are going to bring you biographies of some of history's most famous, interesting, and reviled figures. From Joan of Arc and Joseph Stalin to Jack London and Jordan Peterson, we want to give you, our wonderful audience, a look into their lives and see what lessons we can learn from them. We are also going to change our publishing schedule this season. Instead of releasing the biography episode and discussion at the same time, we want to give you a chance to get involved in our conversations by sending us questions. So, you'll get the biography on one Monday, and then have until that Friday to send questions to us on Facebook or at 15minutehistory at gmail.com. Joe and I will then do our best to answer your question the following Monday in our discussion. Joe and I love doing this podcast, and we are looking forward to interacting with you all this season. However, to be candid, this podcast is a lot of work, and it isn't cheap. So, starting today, we have added a donation link to our website, 15minutehistorypodcast.org. We would truly appreciate any support you can offer this channel. Joe and I aren't looking to buy fancy homes or nice cars with your money. Every dollar you give will go toward hiring some technical staff so the two of us can bring you even more great content. Your donation is an investment in what many of you have said is one of the best history and educational podcasts out there. We happen to agree and you can help us make it even better. So, without further ado... Hello, and welcome to 15-Minute History. This season, we'll teach you about important people and the lessons their lives teach us. If this is your first time here, then thanks for joining. Stay connected with us at our website at 15minutehistorypodcast.org where you can find transcripts and older episodes. Now, let's start the show. The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Mark Twain The steamboat passed the port, and he looked out at the brown, muddy water. The heat was failing, and the humidity began to soak his clothes. Soon it would be twilight, and the lightning bugs would begin to flash on the shoreline. As the boat moved upriver, he saw an old wooden raft hitched to a tree near the shore. It had a battered steering rudder, and the logs that were tied together looked so beaten he would have guessed it impossible that it served any other function other than kindling. He watched the water move the raft back and forth and smiled to himself, thinking about the hands that made it and what possible experiences someone might have on a craft like that. He turned to the north in the direction they were heading and wondered how a boat like that could get upriver without capsizing. He wondered what would have happened if he had had a craft like that when he was younger. It didn't make sense now, but it would have been wonderful for his youth. He wondered how he might have used it. He wondered and he dreamed. Early Impressions Samuel Clemens was born in November 1835. For the first ten years of his life, he was in poor health, despite his mother trying various homeopathic remedies to heal him. Because he was sick, he spent a lot of time around the house and with her, often getting into trouble. When he asked her about this time later in his life, her answer indicated where he gained his wit and jovial humor. Quote, I suppose that during that whole time you were uneasy about me. Yes, the whole time, she answered. Were you afraid I wouldn't live, he asked? No, she said. I was afraid you would. End quote. When he was four years old, they moved to the river port of Hannibal, Missouri, where his father became a justice of the peace. 
The river port was a wild one, and the scenes that unfolded around a young and impressionable Samuel Clemens would stay with him the rest of his life. As a young boy so near to such a place, the ambition to become a riverboat pilot grew with each passing year. Clemens left Hannibal at the age of 17 and had a variety of jobs, each specific to a new place and full of new experiences. He worked in various roles in St. Louis, New York City, and Philadelphia. As he traveled, he read, and as he read, he wrote, though without any literary ambitions. Eventually, he went back to riverboating and studied as a cub pilot for several years, learning the ways of the river from Horace Bigsby. During this apprenticeship, he began to learn the water and navigate around other obstacles found in the mighty Mississippi. These were important years for Clemens. He learned discipline, earned a stable income, and was part of several lucrative deals that occurred during his voyages. As a pilot, he was well regarded by his peers and members of society. He was well paid and self-sufficient. He later stated, quote, A pilot in those days was the only unfettered and entirely independent human being that lived on the earth. End quote. It was during this time he discovered his pen name of Mark Twain, after the Leesman's call of, quote, Mark Twain, end quote, meaning Mark II or Two Fathoms Deep. Though this was a joyful and fulfilling time in his life, it was not without tragedy. He convinced his younger brother Henry to work with him. Not long after, the steamboat's boiler exploded and his brother was burned severely, eventually succumbing to his wounds. Clemens would carry the guilt and pain of the incident with him the rest of his life. The Civil War began in 1861 and severely hindered traffic on the river. As a result of the war breaking out, Clemens and his friends enlisted in a local Confederate unit before disbanding after two uneventful weeks. This experience would later influence his story, the private history of the campaign that failed in 1885. Once out of the war, he left the South with his brother Orrin and fled to the Nevada Territory. The Influence of the West The Nevada Territory was a wild place during its boom years. In Virginia City alone, murder, political corruption, riots, saloons, gambling, and dance halls were commonplace. The culture shock would later prompt an older Clemens to remark, quote, It was no place for a Presbyterian and I did not remain one very long, end quote. Even in this wild environment, he maintained some semblance of integrity as he exposed fraud and corruption where he found them, despite the risk to his own life. While in Virginia City, Clemens took up mining and failed miserably. He then went to work for the newspaper, Territorial Enterprise, covering legislative sessions in Carson City. It was there that he first used his pen name, Mark Twain, when he wrote a humorous article about these travels titled, A Letter from Carson. As he continued to write, his articles began to appear in New York papers. As a result, he became the Nevada correspondent for the San Francisco Morning Call. His talent attracted rivals, and after challenging another editor to a duel, he left the Nevada Territory for San Francisco to become a full-time reporter for the call. While in this role, he wrote a savage commentary on police corruption and fearing retribution, decided to leave the city for a time and take up mining again in the Tulum foothills. There, he heard an old story about a jumping frog that was well known to the miners but new to him. From this tale, he penned The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, which was then published in the New York Saturday Evening Press and then reprinted across the country, earning national attention and putting the name Mark Twain into the spotlight. The Man Apart I have heard the call of literature, Mark Twain told his brother. It isn't anything to be proud of. 
but it is my strongest suit. After the submission and subsequent publication of the celebrated Jumping Frog of Calveras County, Twain would continue to write for newspapers like the Sacramento Union, where he traveled to Hawaii for a short time. As his prestige grew and his publications increased, he began to take up lecturing, a lucrative profession that would serve him whenever he needed extra income. As he traveled, he realized he wanted to travel more, eventually striking a deal with the publication Alta that would send him to Europe and the Holy Land in exchange for 50 letters he would write about the trip. The Innocents Abroad was published in 1869 and was very successful. The tour also yielded an introduction to the woman he would marry, Olivia Langdon, whom he met aboard one of the voyages after accepting an invitation from her older brother to join them for dinner. They were married in 1870 and moved to Buffalo, New York, where he began writing for the magazine called The Galaxy. They had a son not long after, but he passed away from diphtheria at age one. During this time, he wrote Roughing It, which recounted his experiences out west, and then The Gilded Age, which was inspired by his time in England later that year. In 1874, Twain and his family moved to Hartford, Connecticut. They would live in this house on and off for the next 17 years. Part of his writing process included smoking cigars, and because his wife did not approve of them in the house, he had a study built apart from their home where he could write in solitude. It was there that Twain would write his most famous works, including Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, the latter of which would be done in fits and starts, and between other stories and novels, until finally being finished in 1885. These two pivotal stories recounted the adventures on the Mississippi, pulled from his own experiences as a steamboat pilot and as a boy who grew up in Hannibal. Huckleberry Finn sets itself apart from other stories when Huck is faced with a cultural dilemma of aiding a runaway slave, Jim, all while escaping what he calls civilization. The irony of a civilized society protecting an evil institution like slavery is not lost in the narrative, and through Huck, Twain was able to address chattel slavery while pushing against the ongoing discrimination faced by African Americans at the time. The voice, wit, and drive of his characters to seek and pursue adventure mirrored his own mind and life in ways that could only be told through the experiences of his characters, because in his words, people could care less about mine. In 1878, Twain believed he had embarrassed himself at John Greenleaf Whittier's 70th birthday. Though the actual speech was not saved, it may have been one of the reasons that he and his family went to Europe for two years. During this time, he published A Tramp Abroad, based on his travels in the Black Forest and Swiss Alps, and The Prince and the Pauper, which is a story set in 16th century England. In 1882, he and his family returned to the United States, and he reunited with Horace Bigsby in order to write the book Life on the Mississippi in 1883. In addition to his writing and traveling, Twain had a penchant for investments and technology, most of which were disastrous. He founded a publishing company in 1884 that was moderately successful, with the publishing of Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs. This success was short-lived, as the company started to bleed money monthly, requiring him to invest his own royalties to keep it afloat. In addition, he invested heavily into perfecting an automatic typesetting machine, which over the years cost him over $200,000 in losses. In 1891, he ceased the monthly influx of money into his publishing house and shut it down. Twain and his family had to close up their Hartford house to save money, and in doing so, moved to Europe in the hopes that they would be able to financially recover and his wife might improve her health. Unfortunately, debts continued to mount, 
and the financial panic of 1893 made it even more difficult to borrow money. The only thing that saved Twain and his family was a friendship with the oil tycoon, Henry Huddleston Rogers, who worked with the family to get their financials in order. Part of this including Twain filing for bankruptcy in 1893, and at the age of 60, he was forced to rebuild his financials and his career. Getting on in life. 1894 to 1896 was a prolific writing period in Twain's life. During this time, he wrote The Tragedy of Puddinhead Wilson and the Comedy of Those Extraordinary Twins, Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc, and many more. In addition, he continued to give lectures throughout the United States and around the world. As he lectured, he wrote more and more. There is some debate that the volume at which he wrote was partially to offset his reputation of being a funny man, something that Samuel Clemens was getting tired of in his persona of Mark Twain. But with that, the humor persisted, and his style was constantly recognized, even when he published under a pseudonym. During these travels, he learned that his daughter passed away of spinal meningitis, and as a result, a silence came over the Clemens house. The family didn't celebrate birthdays or holidays for a time, and Twain threw himself into his work even more. By 1988, the result of this work and some wise investments by Henry Huddleston meant a complete rebound from his dire financial situation only a few years before. In addition, Huddleston was able to remake the name of Mark Twain into a prestigious one. This process included earning Twain three honorary degrees, which helped change public perception of the author and elevated his status to heights he had always dreamed of. His later years were called his bad mood period, due to his many essays and much of his fiction being a rant of his moral convictions and, quote, the damned human race, end quote. This was partially due to the stream of painful events that probably spilled out onto the page. In 1896, his daughter Jean was diagnosed with epilepsy, and the family traveled all over Europe trying to find a cure. In 1902, his already sickly wife became violently ill, and as a result, Clemens was only allowed to see her for five minutes a day until her death in 1904. He translated his pain for her loss in the story Eve's Diary in 1906, which chronicles the love between Adam and Eve. At the end of the story, Adam says, Wheresoever she was, there was Eden. In 1909, grief would strike again when his daughter Jean died. At her bedside, he would write, The Death of Jean saying, quote, it kept my heart from breaking, end quote. With his only surviving daughter getting married a few years before, Clemens found himself alone, and in an attempt to escape the grief from Jean's death, he traveled to Burma and was joined by his biographer, Albert Payne. They weren't there long when Clemens started to have chest pains, forcing them to return home in April of 1910. He passed away on April 21st. Legacy Ernest Hemingway said in 1935, quote, All modern American literature comes from one book by Mark Twain called Huckleberry Finn. End quote. By the end of his life, Samuel Clemens had written over 20 novels and 60 short stories. In addition, he wrote countless speeches, essays, and articles for publications all over the world. He was a traveler whose desire to find adventure went beyond the steamboats and muddy waters of the Mississippi. His works had humor, detailed descriptions, and used the English language brilliantly. In addition, what he wrote has spanned the spectrum of controversy, have been banned and rebanned multiple times, with his relentless humor and wit carrying through in every single word. Thank you for joining us on 15-Minute History. 
please send us your questions on Facebook or at 15minutehistory at gmail.com and then leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. You can also help us make this podcast even better by going to our website and clicking the donation button. Thank you and see you all next week.